Hi there, you're listening to the Simp Investing Podcast, where we discuss everything and, and anything finance or business related. Simp stands for Simplified, Integrity, Meaning, and Prudence. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and don't forget to give us a follow on Instagram at Simp Investing. So before the episode begins, we would like to put out a disclaimer that the information and content discussed does not constitute financial advice and only serves as educational or entertainment purposes only. Hi everybody, welcome to episode number three. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about what makes good businesses. Okay, so the reason why we are doing this in the first place is so that when you guys invest in the companies on stocks or whatever asset class, right, right you need to very, very understand what you're investing in. And so this is a good matrix or uh, framework for you guys so you can assess whether what you're investing in is a good business or not. Okay, so the first thing that you need to do when assessing a company or buying a stock, right, is to assess the scalability of the business. So scalability basically means that is this business, can you replicate the same process and same customer experience and go into a very, very big market, right? So can you fit an entire new category, scale that to the entire country and still be consistent with that, with the demographics and the geography and culture as well? So a really good example of this would be McDonald's, when McDonald's has a franchise model. And the, for example, in the US, they can take their franchise and they can go across the entire US all the way from Miami to all the way to California. And the experience will exactly be the same. Uh, the people are going to still buy the product, still buy burgers, fries, and Coke, for example. right? So this is a very, very scalable model because they can take this from Miami, California, China, Beijing, Sweden, Singapore. Like It really does not matter. And the, the company still makes profits. Right, so you need to think about scalability purely because if you're putting in an investment and imagine the company is worth $5 billion to, today, right? So you're expecting your investment to rise. So if the company can actually scale into a region, it can increase its revenue and profits, which means that your investment also increases and appreciates over time. So just keep this in mind because uh, really scalability affects how much you're going to make from investing in the company, right? Okay, Branson, you got anything to add to that? Right, so I think uh, you really captured the point there. I think uh, besides you know just scaling, right, I would like to build a little bit on the localization of the product to fit into certain demographics or geographical needs and culture. So building on the point of McDonald's, I think um, especially in the products they release in Singapore, from time to time they'll, they'll release something unique to that country itself. For example, the Nasi Lemak Burger, the... Uh, the unique Mike spicy that they serve in Singapore, right? So it really, really captures the, the needs and wants of our, our, our Singaporeans and hold us there. Kept it, we are stuck into uh, into their, their revenue model nowadays. So this this scale is actually very, very hard to achieve, right? Because you need to um, understand that this, especially if you go, you expand geographically into other, other foreign countries, you need to deal with different type of management as well. So... Uh, for a company to be, to be able to scale well, you need to account for their ability to s- scale not just their product-wise, but also internally as a company when they want to operate in different markets. Yep. So I think uh, the second point that we feel make, is what makes a good business is actually purposeful novelty. So this actually means its unique selling point is very strong and the whatever new innovation that they have, they're investing in their R&D, etc., what they're trying to achieve actually solves a problem, right? It serves a purpose it, and helps a certain uh, demographic of people solve a problem or 
a business with their business needs, make things more effective and efficient. So this is important because not every innovation or invention is useful in general. If you look at, uh, I think, um, in 2017 or 2018, during the whole you know cryptocurrency and blockchain boom up, right? A lot of these uh, products are not uh, operating anymore. But at that point of time, they raised a lot of money because just because they tagged the term blockchain or crypto into uh, the company. So, and whatever they're trying to do, actually, most of them, uh, they, they actually don't, don't really make sense. Like, it's not really, really needed, right? So it's essentially, essentially just a cash grab. So you need to make sure that whatever the, uh, the problem or product uh, that's being released by the company, there's actually a demand to it. So the supply has to be matched with the demand and the demand has to be elastic and growing. So this en- sort of ensures uh, product market fit and also longevity and growth, which is what you want to be investing in, right? Yeah. Uh, just to add to Branson's point, uh, guys, when you invest in your companies, right, try to invest in companies that solve a very, very painful problem purely because you know that in a recession, people are still going to buy that product, for example. So I'll give you a company that I invested in. For example, I invest in CrowdStrike. CrowdStrike is a cybersecurity company based in the US, for example. They're growing very strong. Their product's very good. They help people uh, prevent cybersecurity attacks. So the reason why you want to do and invest in a company like that is because I'm pretty sure in five years' time, there are going to be more attacks than less attacks. So the company is going to make more money than less money, right? So in no matter what scenario, I can imagine them making more money. So it is solving a very, very painful problem. And that is why it's a strong and good company as well. So as opposed to that, and this may be might be might contrary, it might be quite controversial. It's actually uh the products offered by Stitch Fix. So I think Stitch Fix like uh, releases like uh they recommend you clothes to buy, and Stitch they send packages a, over. It's a, uh, it's a US company. It's a listed, or... yeah, listed US company. And okay. if you look at its share price, it's pretty pretty down bad, right? So during the whole work from home, um boost the whole tech stock run up right it, it definitely benefited from that but from my personal opinion and you may disagree i feel that his business model is not lasting mm. right like you, especially as someone i want to like you know go go out and buy clothes i would want to try it on i want to see how it fits and not just like you know like get it sent it to me and then i if i don't like it i, I send it back which is a operational waste if you think about it yep. so this this so you have to be careful uh when you look out for companies to invest in to see whether this this uh product they're offering the services they actually solve the real problem mm-hmm. and although it's maybe branded as innovation yeah so yeah. the third point that we look out for is companies that are actually easy to run even with subpar management right so there's this saying that uh what's the saying again the very popular vc saying okay guys don't quote us on this but it's something <laughs> like this okay i'm paraphrasing here if you have a subpar entrepreneur or founder but you are in an industry that is a rising market you should go into the into the industry or it's like it's an easy business to run yeah yeah so i think this is important because i think as normal retail investors right we how, how do we actually you know judge the capabilities of the management it's very hard for us to, we can't just go up to them and then you know like Tell us how you run your business. Tell us what your strategies are. They only do it like perhaps once every quarter whenever they release their strategies or their earnings and their guidances or from time to time they have an interview. So I don't, I don't think it uh, makes sense for us to do like, And it's very difficult for us to do like proper due diligence on the, found, the, the founders um, and management team's capabilities. 
the only thing that we could base it on is on the on their past track records, their resume, which may not may, may not be the best indicator of how things may pan out in the future, right? So I think it's best to find like easy to run companies, uh, that is able to you know grow, uh, regardless um based on the 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 product itself and also the industry driving it forward. But that's not to say that uh you can just completely disregard uh the completely disregard the um the management because I think it's still very important, especially when you know there's competitors out there and that yeah. that serves similar products. I think uh the management is very important because it drives culture, it drives confidence, it uh and it's also uh the cadence of the company as a whole. So execution yeah. which is key, right? So easy to run companies are the best companies in my opinion. And paired it up with good management, right? I think they're winners. Yep. I got nothing to add there. All right. So <laughs> uh, the fourth point that we have is actually uh if you look at the company's uh product suite, their tech stack, and also the industry's needs. So does this company have the optionality to expand their services and product offerings vertically or horizontally? So this allows the company to you know like uh expand its total addressable market and also ensure that there's growth runway in the future. So I think one very good company is a Salesforce. So they're constantly expanding their product suite, a uh, bit through like um you know like through R and D purposes and also uh M and A. So Salesforce, I think they have acquired Tableau. Uh, is it is it Slack? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So these are the, the yeah. So all of these acquisitions and also their their, their product innovations, right? It expands their product offering vertically and horizontally, and this really ensures that uh, this company can maintain its growth going forward. Yeah. So I think this is another thing to look out for when you, uh, especially in terms of business model wise, if the company can continu- continuously expand. So you see that some of this, um, especially in terms of uh, matured companies, that their share prices are like pretty stagnant. I would say most of the time they're ranging about because I think they don't have much growth anymore and then all the offering is uh, perhaps it start to become a, like a dividend-based company. So, and, if, and as opposed to that, if you look at growth names, like for example, uh, Amazon prior to their uh, recent earnings report, right? It's always on an uptrend. That's because it's always expanding its uh, product offerings and suites. So I think we we'll want to invest in a company that is able to do that. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, one example to illustrate to you guys the point. So if you remember, remember anything, like Microsoft sells enterprise software to other companies, for example. So they have expanded into that range. Uh, they also have an Xbox uh, category, which is in the gaming niche. Recently, they acquired Activision Blizzard. So they actually bought a company that produces games as well. So they actually are expanding uh, technically vertically because they already have that gaming category and they're just deepening that relationship with that market and expanding that range. So that, that's what Branson means by optionality to expand your business vertically or horizontally. Either you are opening up an entirely new customer segment that you can sell to or that you are selling more products to the, exi- the same customer so that you can extract more lifetime value from that. Yeah. Yeah, well said. So the fifth point that we have to what constitutes a great business is actually the ability for the company and its products and services to create stickiness, maybe through like an ecosystem-based uh, structure or a family of products or services or a community. So it's something that pulls the users in and then hold them there and prevent them from uh, moving on to another company. So there's very high switching costs. 
So if you think of Salesforce once again, right? There are so many features and products that are all integrated into the company's every function, if, uh, yeah, every function and department. So it's very hard for a company to just say that one day say that actually I don't want to do, I don't want to be part of Salesforce anymore. I don't use their products anymore. They have to go out there and find like individual companies that provides a service or product that fits into every function of the company once again. So that takes up a lot of time. And besides that, right, there's a lot of training to be done. You have to retrain your entire workforce to adapt to the new uh, products or features of the new company that you're using to replace Salesforce with. So this stickiness is actually very real. I actually talked to like some 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 people and once told me that uh, they work in tech firms, right? And Salesforce, like it's once it's integrated, it's so powerful. Uh, like everybody's just used to it. You can't really like, you know, just switch it out. And they do, they wouldn't want to switch it out as well because it really like you know takes out a lot of their time and bandwidth to learn something new again, on top of the tech work they're doing, and which they're already, they're already occupied with, right? So another great example I think will be Apple, for like normal consumers like us. So I use a lot of Apple products. So I use like the MacBook, uh, the AirPods, the iPad, the iPhone, and if I suddenly want to switch my phone to an Android, right, I lose that you know that the that ease of you know. Assessing my iCloud, my my storage, my uh, my 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 AirPods now, right? I can I can just like activate them super yep. easily, just putting on the yeah and the Apple Pencil, etc. I'm just too used to Apple's products, and whenever I switch, I switch to something new that they offer. So this is another thing that uh is very very prominent, and in a good business. So you should look out for these. Yep, understood. Uh, yeah, just to add on Branson's Apple point. So Apple sells you pot, uh, sorry, AirPods and MacBook Pros and iMacs and stuff like that. So they, they monetize you guys and uh, me too, right? By one-time purchases, right? If, if the next quarter I don't buy a MacBook, uh, Apple is not going to make any money. However, because they have their Apple TV, they have their iCloud storage and stuff like that. So they can basically charge money recurring uh, and extract more money from you over time. Obviously, the, the revenue that's coming from those services is still lesser than the iPhones or the MacBook Pros and stuff like that. But that's how Apple is really an ecosystem purely because once you are buying one device, you're going to buy uh, your subscription stuff. And so if you switch over to another uh, platform or device, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. Yep. So I think the last point that we have to what constitutes a great business is actually the pure facts. You have to look at the numbers, right? I think, I think at the end of the day, what a business is trying to achieve is just to make profits. And that's to show in its uh in its financials. So no matter how great the narrative or how uh great the story the company is trying to paint out, it has to be backed by numbers. So for example, average revenue per user, retention ratio, uh for the uh SaaS based companies, the margins, the unit economics, its growth, the cash flows, right, the margin expansions, all of these have to be there. So uh, it may not exactly apply for like you know high growth tech names, especially if you're a growth investor in in the uh, say initial stages of the company being public, right? But it has to show signs of it. It has to show trends that it's improving, and it has to get there eventually through like uh, perhaps what the management is trying to do, and it's actually backed up. So at at the end of the day, this is what that truly matters. No matter how great the narrative is, especially if you're thinking about longevity and uh, sustainability of the business model going forward. Correct. So uh, just to emphasize one specific point about Branson said about your unit economics and margins. So generally you want to buy companies who have extremely high gross margins 
and have pricing power. The reason why is because in an inf inflation environment, for example, everybody who's at the bottom or the middle is going to lose sales and going to slow down. However, if you have enough gross margin, you have enough profit. And so these companies generally grow even during a recession, purely because they have a lot more free cash flow to play with, to hire people, to invest or to do marketing and stuff like that. So just uh, let you guys know. Yeah. And also one very, one very uh, easy way to spot if a company has a, a lot of pricing power is essentially like one of the bigger players in this, in this uh, industry right, is by looking at its gross margins. Like John mentioned, if you have strong gross margins, it means you have strong pricing power. And that means you have a, a lot of edge over your competitors. So that's another thing to spot. Yep. So you know, we, we talk about like what constitutes a great business, right? Is there a company that you feel is... Um, that you like a lot and it's a great business. Yeah, so I like uh, Google as a good business. It's a simp, simp verified business. <laughs> okay, so um, if you are listening to this, you're on Spotify, right? But there are Google Podcasts, and YouTube, uh, Gmail, um, Google Cloud Provider, GCP. Um, I'm pretty sure they have the other businesses, but I can't think of them, right? And so I'm going to show you like why, why, this, uh, why Google is a simp business right here. Okay, so is it scalable? Yes. 100% right. YouTube, uh, they make over what $28 billion every single year from YouTube alone. So it's in every single country in the world. Uh, it helps and provides jobs for many YouTubers and many influencers, stuff like that. It's a scalable business. Yeah. Number two, does it solve a very painful problem? Yes, it provides um, infrastructure to cloud companies, for example. It provides infrastructure to literally every email inbox in the world. It also has the Chrome browser. So, you know, it solves a painful problem so that people can access the internet. Number three, is it easy to run? So, Obviously, Google, like any company is not easy to run. But I would say Google, if if you shut down every single um, business that Google has, for example, right, They if they have Google search, the company is easy to run. It's an algorithm. The engineers are there. And like, even if all of the other stuff, YouTube, Gmail stuff shuts down, right, their Google search, their, their cash cow is basically still alive. So I feel that, yes, it's easy to run. And even if, Obviously, Sunna Pichai is a good CEO, but if someone else comes in, I'm pretty sure Google will still grow in the next five years, for example. So I, I do classify that as easy to run. Uh, number four, optionality to expand vertically and horizontally. I think this is not rocket science, but if more people watch YouTube, they're going to make more money. You expand, right? If people more, uh, use more of Gmail. So for example, uh, you have a company, you have three employees, right? And suddenly you grow to five employees. Are you going to buy more of Google of the G Suite? Yes, you are. So Google makes more money, right? And then uh, on the GCP side, which is their cloud service provider, if your company expands and increases their uh, operational workload on the cloud, are they going to buy more of the cloud? Probably yes. Yeah. Okay. Number five is stickiness, right? So is Google sticky? I would think so, right? <laughs> like if you're using Gmail, Chrome, uh, YouTube, stuff like that, technically 90% of the internet is powered by Google. So like, are you going to use Bing? Not really, right? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure there's like a ton of stickiness. And uh, yeah, so that's why it's a good company. And number six, gross margins. Okay, so Google is in the advertising business, if you're not aware. And Google makes uh, most of their money and revenue through search. So search in itself, the gross margin of search is almost 100%. Okay, they are selling you clicks and attention on the internet for 2 to $3 on every single click. Every single time you type in something on Google, they, kept, they are making money. Yeah. So it, it, I, I feel it's the most insane and best business model in the world. Obviously, it's extremely hard to replicate. But from a business standpoint, 
the, their numbers are extremely great. They produce extremely strong free cash flow and margins. And every single time someone uses Google to search for something, they are literally making money and making 100% of it. The only thing that's powering that is their, their cloud, which I'm pretty sure it doesn't cost a lot since they own Google Cloud as well. So according to the SIMP framework that I used to basically analyze for what Branson just said, right? Google is an extremely good company and I, I like it a lot. It's an extremely good business. Nobody can copy Google, right? No, like is Bing going to overtake Google? Not really. <laughs> or maybe I, I don't think so. So uh, yeah, it's an extremely good business. I like it a lot. And uh, yeah, what's your, what's your opinion, Branson? I think uh yeah Google is like a, one of the one of the, one of the most important companies as a whole, and you should hold it as long as you can, right? I mean, besides just like you know generating cash flows, which they are doing and is very strong, having dominant market share in uh whatever they're doing now, they are also looking towards the future, right? With their deep mind, etc., all their other future play initiatives, which is very 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 good in my opinion because they have the brand names, they have the cash flows. They have the, the resources, they have the talents, they have the brand name to attract new talents to work for them. So if you look at it on a base, uh, purely theoretical basis, right? they are the best equipped and has the higher probability to succeed in all these emerging fields that may you know, just over, overtake uh, and destroy certain industries in the future. So I think Google is uh, it's a very, very solid hole for now, the present and also the future, unless something, you know, something drastic happens along the way. And uh, yeah, you know, which is a bit a little hard to account for such of this this low probability and high risk uh, scenarios, but disregarding that, I think uh, Google is a definite hole. So for me, right, I think I really like this company called uh, TSMC, which is a Taiwan um, semiconductor manufacturing company. So as opposed to uh, Google, which is a software based, this company is essentially hardware based, right? Um, so it. Essentially, it manufactures, uh, contract manufactures and designs semiconductor chips, which are used for like, you know, like your NVIDIA, your GPUs, uh, your electric cars, etc. It's a, it's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most important companies in this world. So looking at this, our, our framework that we just described earlier on, scalability. So I think uh, as opposed, I'm going to go with a different twist here. So if you look at TSMC, right, it's very hardware based, right? It's a lot of high capex. So scalability may not be the best applied here, but the thing is, right, it's because it's so hard to replicate what they've already done. You need that much capex to be able to scale up to the scale of TSMC. Mm. It's very hard for anybody to penetrate that space. You need hundreds of billions of dollars to build the uh, capabilities that they have. And to even obtain like the uh, patterns to conduct the type of manufacturing, the processes they use, it's, uh, I think, yeah, you either you, you do it and get a lawsuit and then they, they just run you over with their resources or you just like, you know, you, you don't do that and then you, you just lose out. You, you, have to, you have to conduct years of R&D, spend billions of dollars to come up with something that is even remotely close to what uh, TSMC can do in terms of uh, manufacturing, in terms of their time, their speed and their, their quality. So this is what I really like about TSMC. It's mode, it's, uh, it's CapEx mode. And secondly, right, when we talk about purposeful novelty. So, if you look at TSMC's customer base, they have customers such as AMD, Apple, uh, Broadcom, and Nvidia. So these companies are like they're not they're not small small guys. Right? They're big hitters. I'm sure all of them will have have their talent and also the resources and expertise to actually you know like manufacture themselves. But they go to TSMC. They do they go to them because uh they go to TSMC because that company is able to provide them their 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 required chips 
at a much lower price and also perhaps a better quality and a faster speed as compared to when they can do it themselves, right? So if you look at in terms of innovation, these TSMC's customers are the ones that's driving the innovation and they rely on TSMC's constant like uh, constant R&D to better that their, their own op- manufacturing uh, craft to uh, drive the company forward. So it is sort of like a, there's a linkage in terms of novelty here, which is also what I, what I really like because, uh, you know, manufacturing, right, uh, is a more steady business. But at the same time, you get to, you know, like uh, harvest the benefits of uh, innovation driving towards like uh, new frontiers that solve, to solve more problems in the future in terms of like, you know, climate change, electric vehicles, and your all your AI um, to make life easier and faster in terms of our, our daily mundane tasks. So TSMC gets to benefit from that. But at the same time, they have their contracts there and they benefit steadily with the stable uh, cash flows from the, from the contracts reoccurring, you know. And third, is it easy to run? Well, definitely it's not easy to run this company, right? But uh, so this is the point that I feel like it, um, it really like, uh, it's not really there. It's not that easy to run, especially if you deal with all like, this uh, large customer base. And recently, I think you have to deal with politics as well. Because um, you can think about it, TSMC, it's essentially like uh, Taiwan's uh, biggest breadwinner. All this other, all the semiconductor companies are there, yep. and with all the the Chinese tension going around, I think uh, TSMC has to deal with that uh, that that tension there. So this is one great example. Like no matter how good a company is, right, you have to always deal with downside risk. Yeah. So it's how I think the investors uh will have to manage and deal with it. Fourth, right, optionality to expand vertically or horizontally. So I think um, in this certain industry, manufacturing, there's not a lot of optionality to expand their product offerings. But what they can do right, is to build on their uh, thought process, their resources, right, to perhaps um, create more different types of uh, manufacturing to cater to different needs. So TSNC does a lot of designing as well. So this is, I think, where it comes in in terms of their optionality to expand. So they're always designing new chips, etc., to capture uh, perhaps more, more market share, and also types of customers as well. Hmm. Yep, stickiness. So there's a reason why AMD, Apple, etc., they still stick to stick to uh, TSMC to produce their goods, right? So uh, I think it's very self self apparent. They're able to do it at a lower price, faster speed, higher quality, and that's enough to pull anyone in. Plus, right, uh, all these capex, these investments is very high. So I don't think like as a as a software based company like AMD, you, you spend a lot of your uh, your resources on R and D, right? You wouldn't have the means to like you know just build up a, a manufacturing capacity of TSMC scale. So they just stick to outsourcing it to them, and this stickiness uh, that helps to drive their um, their profits of AMD, their margins. Which it, it it's sort of generates like stickiness already by itself, yeah. And numbers, right? When you look at numbers, TSMC's uh numbers is really 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 solid. So their market share itself, right? Yeah, they are, they have more than fifty percent of the semiconductor foundry market, which is insane if you think about it. One company owning more than fifty percent. Uh, so this is a Q four twenty twenty one statistics. It owns fifty two percent. And the next bigger player, right, is I think Samsung, which is just 18.3%, which is 
which is quite quite insane if you think about it. And also, most of the time you hear like uh, market structures like this ol- oligopolies, like they have a few few companies that dominate the market and they have sort of like equal market share. But in this market, right, TSMC has fifty two percent, which is <laughs> it's insane. Mm. And if you look at their um margins, right, uh, similarly Q four twenty twenty one. This manufacturing company, mind you, a manufacturing company has a gross margins of fifty one point six three percent, which which again really reiterates the pricing power of this company. Operating margins at uh forty point nine five, net margins at thirty seven point three two. This is uh I think quite very very difficult to achieve for a manufacturing hardware based company, in my opinion. So DSMC is quite is a very solid company, but again, like I mentioned earlier, you have to account for the downside in terms of its um political tensions and how uh globalization works right so if globalization uh starts to you know like um come down and manufacturing goes back onshore for the US i think companies like intel will start to benefit and then you will see like the demand for tsmc's products start to die out so again it's very important to account for downsides and everything all businesses we invest in no matter how great they are there are always uh certain uh events or triggers that could uh, perhaps destroy the company's modes so even though it's not very highly probable you still have to account for them also when when things happen right you know how to react you know how to how to yeah react appropriately and not just you know uh conduct actions based on impulse yeah I, i think it's one thing that i don't know whether you agree with me but like um because stocks, like a lot of the times, the institutional founder, uh, sorry, the fund managers are based in the US, right? Most of them deploy money from the US. So they treat Chinese or even Taiwanese companies like differently. I don't know whether you agree with me. There, there is, because I think most of the companies that's listed in the US, right? Like these Chinese companies, right? they're listed through like the ADRs, which is the uh, American, if I'm not wrong, it's called the American Dispo- Depository Receipt, right? So these are not like actual stock of the company itself. It's just a US bank issued certificate representing shares in a foreign company for trade on the American stock exchanges. So there is a risk of like, you know, like uh, the it gets delisted, especially nowadays with all this tension going on. So I think that's a, probably a reason why it's not as favored. Yeah, But then again, right, if you're a retailer, you, you're not limited to just investing in the US. You can just, you know, Go and buy Hong Kong shares, for example. Yeah, yeah. But if the thing gets delisted, right, you'll probably you know like get uh get a hit or so. If you look at uh Alibaba shares, yep. Both both the Hong Kong shares and both the the US listed ADRs, they are like both going through the gutter right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, I think I think TSMC is great in terms of that. Like they don't really do advertising; they don't have advertising yep. costs. Right, their entire revenue is B two B. So if Apple goes up, you generally would see TSMC go up as, at the same time. Yep. Yeah. The demand is sort of correlated if, yeah. for electronic products. Uh, yeah, but then you see a lot of driving factors going forward. So chips are always needed, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, for computers, your your phones, etc. It's, it's there. Well, I think uh, this is a great end to the episode. So we talked about what constitute great businesses based on the SIMP framework, right? So we look at scalability. So it's a business as easily replicated and can be localized to fit a new market, uh, for instance. And then we look at purpose, purposeful novelty. 
So that's a that's a product or service offered by the company actually solves a real problem. And third, this company easy to run uh, even with subpar management. It still gets to benefit and drive forward. Fourth, it's also the optionality to expand vertically or horizontally its product and service suites. Fifth is the stickiness of the company's products and services, either through an ecosystem-based uh, family of products or a community-based approach. And number six is uh, financial numbers. So things such as like the, uh, the ratios, you know, economics, growth rates, anything uh, related to the fin- financial statements have to be there. And then uh, I think both John and I shared a company that we both liked individually. He shared Google and I, and I talked about uh, TSMC. So uh, that's all for today. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Ken, thank you guys for listening to the episode. And um, yeah, I'll, we'll see you in the next episode.